Welcome to Weekday Worship again. We're doing a second ep this week. That's short for episode, but we're shortening it because we're hip and cool. So second episode of the week, uh, we did one with Caleb already, and now I have a new guest with me in studio, Zach Gilcrease. Welcome to the stage. Thanks, James. Glad to be here. <laughs> the stage is the studio today. It's not always the studio, but it is today. So uh, yeah, man, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Your uh, wife has been on before, but this is a first for you. Uh, your wife's out of town right now, too. She is. She just got down to Tampa to visit some family for a baby shower. So she's I, down there having a great time. Yeah, I think this is our first evening recording, actually. This is breaking ground. Weekday worship history is being made here tonight. We've nice. only done daytime recordings, I think, until now. So congratulations on that. Cool. Glad to be part of it. So she's uh, she's down there for a baby shower. She's due late June. What uh, what is What do evenings look like? What are they normally like for you and Jasmine at home? What do they look like this week with her away? Yeah. What so crazy things are you up to? <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day about this. So we're pretty boring. We pretty much uh, have dinner, unwind for That's a little while. That's a terrible while. way to start your first podcast. You yeah, don't annou- You don't announce you're boring at the front end, Zach. No, I, n- I need to be honest on this podcast. <laughs> and uh, it is true. But um, yeah, we typically wind down and get to bed around 10. We're usually in bed by 10. And she'll maybe read a book while I check sports, you know, see the scores of the day. And we'll go to bed. Do you have a TV in your bedroom? No, no, no. Just on no my phone. No TV in the bedroom. No so TV. Okay. Yeah. Real old and school. And what time are you getting up in the morning? Oh man, I should get up at six, but usually it's closer to six thirty or seven. So <laughs> that sounds very familiar. Yes. Uh, okay. And so normally you're kind of low key evenings in bed at ten. What do you like? What it, it, she cooks more? You cook more? She does, but she gave me great instructions tonight. I made a great meal of tortellini and turkey sausage with some spinach and Dude, tomatoes that's fancy. And, and a salad. So I was that, pretty proud of like myself. Like all for just you? Just for me. Did I got some leftovers for lunch? Four meals out of it. So I'll be, uh, <laughs> yeah, eating that for the next couple of days. <laughs> nice. But what percentage of the time do you do cooking? Zero. Oh, really? Like none? <laughs> I'll make my own breakfast, but okay. she's, she's, a, she's awesome. She whips up dinner in the evenings, and we usually have that for lunch the next day. So you're on your own when she's gone, and will that amount to more Chipotle? No, well, point, I've got these, you know, three leftover meals, so that'll get me through. She'll be back Sunday. I think there's one more meal for me are, to make. Are you the kind of guy that could actually eat the same meal every day, oh, yeah. just out of discipline? Like, yeah, you don't, you don't get tired of it. Yeah, I'm, you would have made a great Old Testament Israelite wandering in the wilderness, by the way. Yeah, Jasmine, she spoils me. I tell her she could just meal prep, and I'll eat the same thing for a week, but she chooses to mix it up every day. And uh, every day at lunch, um, somebody makes a comment about how good my food looks, and they wish they had really something that good. My, Betsy's like this though, like where when she does like diets and stuff like that, she will, she will get the exact same thing. Like actually, when, when she was pregnant, she was like this. It was like she wanted the same thing every day for lunch. Like, like a lot of the time. Like I remember I, that girl must have eaten in the early, like when we when she was pregnant with the twins. I bet she ate a, a turkey sub from uh, Publix pretty much every day uh, when she was at work. Like, that's what she would get to eat. Yeah. And Which so, is kind of controversial, eating subs while you're pregnant. and That's controversial? She made, I guess she made it. He guys had that six was a long kids. time ago. It may not have been controversial yet. Maybe uh, Is that a new controversy? What's the controversy? Well, apparently you're not supposed to, but... Um, is it the turkey? Just uncooked meats, but... 
and fact check me on this. Jasmine did a little research after talking to Where's Betsy Scotty about this. When you need him? And uh, she looked into it, and I guess the processes are a little better now, and so it's not as big of a concern. Yeah, but if it's boar's head, it's okay. <laughs> Something like that. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, she's, she was excited about that when she talked to Betsy because she has had a few pups up since. <laughs> so. Yeah, so Betsy's totally, like, she can eat the same thing. And I'm like, after, like, after, like, the second or third day in a row, I'm like, man, i got to mix it up. Can't, can't, can't keep coming back to the same thing, like, every day. So yeah. uh, what, any other uh, bachelor plans for the week? No, um, getting the house in order, getting ready for the baby. So right. you got a nursery to yep. start thinking about. Nursery and some odd let's jobs. Let's not tell Jasmine about it, but let's, like, what if you design and put together and assemble and whatever, like the whole nursery's done when she gets back. And so she gets no creative, like, decision-making with it at all. You determine everything, and it'll be your surprise. Let's see how she reacts. I think I'd do pretty well if I did that, but... Beth also is working on the nursery, so she might oh, not be so happy with me. She's she's been helpful with the with that, so I'd be stepping on, <laughs> on two sets of toes. Who are you more scared of? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. They're actually. both pretty feisty. They are. That's a feisty pair. Um, all right, so I guess you'll probably leave some of that up to them. Uh, all right, so we are. Uh, we're doing this this week as sort of a follow-up to our installation for eldership, eldership that happened on Sunday. So um, congratulations, I guess. I, it was weird. I was getting, I got a card for each of you guys, and I had no idea what kind of card to get. It was like, you're looking, I was like looking for blank ones, but all the blank ones had like girly designs and stuff. And I was like, well, that's not a, and then it was like, <laughs> congratulations stuff. And I was like, well. I don't know. That doesn't seem like quite the right note to strike. I don't know if it's congratulations. I, then I tried to find one that said congratulations. I'm sorry, and kind of mix those like sympathy with congrat. No, uh, and I couldn't find. I can't remember what it was that I settled on. No, you guys did a great job. It was uh, <laughs> no, it was it was like was... Uh, something about some new season or something like that. No, they're but, very kind. Uh, so congratulations or whatever is appropriate to say. Um, excited. How did you feel about Sunday? Just like what was that like for you? Um, maybe through the service knowing that was coming, maybe sitting up here and having, I know you you love the stage, obviously, mm-hmm. big spotlight guy. Uh, how was the experience of Sunday for you? No, it was great. My uh, dad was in town and my grandparents got to come, which was really neat for them to be there. And yeah. we actually took a, a picture with my dad and my grandfather under the Generations banner. So it was oh, kind of fitting cool. so to see three that. Three generations of guilty. Three generations. And, oh, that's cool. Um, I don't know if you know this, but cookie cake is my favorite. I didn't know and that. And I think it's Caleb's we favorite. We totally so, stumbled into that. So I'm still... Pounding that right now. That's awesome. That's right. You got to take a whole one home, and it's just you now. That's that's great. So you don't even need the tortellini. No, I could look. No, I do. I thought I could eat more cookie cake. You're a nice cream guy too. Yep. So are you pairing in the ice cream with the cookie cake? No, that'd be too much. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay, because you're too disciplined. No, just I don't know if they mix. What's your favorite kind of ice cream, by the way? Recently, I really like Bluebell Dutch chocolate. Blue belt boy, but I didn't know you were such a. So this is this is an that's area my favorite where you're, chocolate. You're I a like big chocolate. spender when it comes to ice cream. Blue Bell's like yeah, that's pretty elite ice cream. No, I, if it's chocolate, I'll pretty much eat it. That's yeah. I mean, I'm like a I'm I'm like a a, a Walmart. Um, what do they call that brand? What's the Walmart brand? Uh, great value. Yep. No, I'll eat it all. <laughs> I I, I'm not I'm not a snob at all. <laughs> I'll eat whatever. Uh, okay, so what was it called again? Because i got to try this. Yeah, thing. Dutch chocolate. Dutch chocolate. Blue right. Dutch chocolate. It's my favorite chocolate, but bell. I'll eat. 
than eating Their chocolate. Their is so good. Like, there's a real difference. Yeah, well, you say that's expensive. Jasmine likes the Jenny's pints, which are about $9. Oh, and so... Is that, and that's like the little thing, the like little you get thing, at like the mm-hmm. uh, gas station or drugstore. Yeah. So. Yeah, those are. Betsy had one of those. She like, what was the? Um, was it a s'mores one? Maybe. Uh, it was a Ben and Jerry's one that she liked. Some kind of chocolate chunky whatever. Uh, chunky monkey. That was it. She liked chunky monkey, but it was like I remember it was like six dollars. I'm like, you eat that in one sitting? Like yeah. what? Like it was so expensive all the time. Um. Anyway. Uh. Okay. That was. I was. I'm digressing here. So I didn't know that cookie cake was y'all's favorite. But uh, that's another best special, so uh, so we got that one right. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was actually a highlight. We did have several people say they were looking forward to the next elder installation. So we cool. We bought people off with that. Um, cool to have your grandparents there uh, and your dad there. Um, anything else just stick out to you about Sunday that I don't know whether you something different than you expected more than what you expected. Or? No, I really appreciated your sermon and talking through the qualifications and responsibilities and. It just it was it felt good to um, to make it official after the months of preparation and, and prayer and um, you know taking on some responsibilities leading up to that. So it just felt good to have it as reality now mm-hmm. finally. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I've had people ask me how it's felt since, and uh, there's <laughs> definitely a, a weight of responsibility that I hadn't felt before, which is good. Haven't slept like <laughs> <laughs> waking up in cold sweats if you do fall asleep. No, it's been great. I really I really enjoyed Sunday. That was a, cool. a sweet time. Yeah, it was good. Um, what? Uh, so speaking of your your parents, your grandparents, um, I've gotten I've had the privilege of meeting many of your family members over the years. That you've been at generations, just different family things or things they've been here for church and then other events that we've met them at and even softball games. And um, talk a little bit about just for people that don't know your story, give us some of the background, like sort of the the Gilcrease uh, uh, history a little bit, because um, obviously you are. Um, by God's grace, not a first-generation follower of Jesus, and so there's a rich legacy here. So tell us a little bit about your family background, how kind of how you grew up and came to faith and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, my grandfather, my, my dad's parents were here for, for Sunday, and they um, raised my dad in the church. Um, he kind of took his faith more seriously in college. I would say that's when he was saved. And uh, him and my mom uh, met at a Athletes in Action staff training, which if you don't know who that is, it's the sports ministry branch of crew, formerly Campus Crusade. And I didn't even, re- I didn't realize that they were formally affiliated. I mm-hmm. thought they were, there was like just partnership between college or whatever ministries or whatever. I didn't realize it was. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, athletes in action, you know, focused on sports and college campuses yeah. as well as professional. And um, they ended up in Tampa, Florida, where I was born. Um, they were assigned, um, with the Buccaneers. My dad was a chaplain for the Buccaneers for since 91 until about three years ago. Um, so that's what he did. And, uh, it was really neat to be around that as so a kid. He, so he was there through the Tony Dungy years, Tony Dungy, uh, Gruden, the, uh, Gruden years. Really? Which uh, like uh, what I, I haven't even sense. asked your dad about this, but like you talk about two totally different oh, yeah. cats, like those two men, just their dispositions and so forth. Yeah. Uh, Warren Sapp, I guess he, did he know Warren Sapp mm-hmm. like personally then, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that was quite a character. Did yeah, you, did you ever meet him? Yes, that's a big dude, man. Yeah, he is. He's an interesting guy too. <laughs> he's a he's a fun guy. But yeah, my my parents, they, my dad, his background was in baseball. My mom played uh, tennis, and so grew up in a sports background. And uh, my dad was signed with the Bucks. Um, 
did that for a while. Um, we got to see them do Bible studies in the house, whether it's my mom leading women's Bible studies or, um, you know, marriage studies. Specifically and, affiliated with the Bucks, your mom would do that? So she's doing like players' wives, yeah. front office people. Yeah, like so they were both yeah. assigned to the Bucks, and uh, that was kind of their what they did for Athletes in Action. They raised support, so we got to see that play out, their, their faith in God's provision, and I think that was really impactful for me, and I have five siblings, so I'm the second oldest, the oldest boy. Um, I have an older sister, and so you're pretty calm. Like if you ever, if we had a like, like if we had like a celebrity come to our church or whatever, you'd be like, you'd be the right guy for them to meet. You'd be like not starstruck. (laughs) I don't know. It depends on who it is. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it was pretty surreal growing up around that that world, and and you realize too just how you know broken some of those people are, and Mm -hmm. you think they're some of the most happy people. But it was neat to see the people reach out to you know, reach out and look for people like my parents to give them the foundation that mm. they desperately needed with their marriages or families and yeah. got to babysit the kids, which is fun growing That's up. Wild. And yeah, really just grew up around that world of ministry. The, um, you, you say, speaking about that, I, I was, uh, I heard this morning, Tony Dungy, um, just speaking of a guy like I really respect and it's not easy in the public eye. So being a head coach for all the years that he was, winning the Super Bowl finally with Peyton Manning in Indianapolis, outspoken Christian, kind of known for mentoring and taking guys under his wing. And then, um, but now as a commentator for NBC, like he's in this position where, man, as a Christian, you could say, you could speak with conviction and like based on your values, it's not hard to offend people and get canceled in different ways. And he's had to toe some different lines and, and, uh, but I've always respected just the integrity of that guy. And, uh, and, uh, but he's, he's usually one of those guys that's fairly non-controversial. You know, he stays out of like the, and, uh, he posted this morning in the, in the wake of all the, um, uh, the stuff with Roe v. Wade and the case and the, the leak that came out yesterday or whatever, that whole thing, uh, there was somebody that he got, he got into it a little bit with on Twitter. And I just so appreciated like mm-hmm. that on that, on that issue, he was very bold and like taking a stand, um, which is something that could easily come back on him in a negative way, just with his position and the way that the media is. So, um, so like on the one hand, you see like brokenness in these one, these some of these people, but like that guy's like the real deal, mm. right? I mean, your dad like knows him well. I think is what I've understood. Yeah, I know he absolutely is. He's one of the most humble men I've ever known, and and even during his years, we had some of the most solid believers mm. in the Bible studies and solid men. Mm. Uh, I think he really did a good job of raising men and. That's cool investing in that. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So grew up in that environment, um, you know, along with how many siblings for people who don't five, know. so I had five siblings. I'm the second oldest, oldest son. There are two girls and four boys total. It's the Rowell composition. Yeah. So we, uh, had a lot of fun. Um, you know, really, really had a, a great upbringing. My family was, was really tight and still is. So I'm uh, very blessed there. As far as the athletic stuff, too, uh, was everybody the same sport kind of thing, or were you guys kind of all over the map? Like, what did um, you guys all play? We played a lot of the same sports. You know, okay. The boys all played baseball, and the yeah. girls played tennis, and okay. you know, we played different sports at the church uh, when we were growing up as kids. And so, What yeah. do you deem your best sport, even if it's a fringe sport like ping pong? <laughs> I know you're a humble guy. You don't want to like brag, but like leading where, the where witness do you feel there. Like you're the best at. Yeah. So all the things that you play, man. So I guess I'd have to say ping pong, although I haven't played any official like league play ping pong, but my brother and I, my dad and mom are both very good. My mom, she played some professional tennis. And so she, and my dad really 
um, whooped us a lot growing up. And so <laughs> my brother and I had to catch up and we'd play quite often. So yeah, yeah. Love to play. we've got, like, I know we keep talking about, we've got to get a ping pong table here at the church and yeah. I can't wait to get some more. You and I played last fall a few times and you whooped me. And, uh, but I love playing ping pong and I'm decent, but you are, I think, I've played a bunch of people because we played a bunch of the men's retreat a couple weeks ago with different guys. And yeah, I still need to play Caleb. Um, Caleb, I'll, I will re, I'll play you again. I know we only got to play once, so I didn't even bring that up on the podcast that I might have beaten Caleb in a best of five. Uh, so we were pretty competitive with each other, and then, but I, I've already played you enough to know that like I can beat you, but you're better than me. So yeah. it's fun. There's that. Tons of fun. Yeah. Um, competitive house, like uh, you said. I mean, obviously, tight knit family was there. Yeah. Was it tight knit in the way that like there's bickering and fighting and competing and contending with one another, or was it maybe a little like growing up? But honestly, a lot of us, most of us, are introverted, pretty laid back. Um, you know, my brother and I, we would get after it and different things. But if we were playing other people and say ping pong, uh, we we tended to be more merciful in that. And Betsy and I need needed to have been mentored by your parents. I feel like we got six non. No, we have maybe a couple introverts, but there's not a laid back, passive, like water off a duck's back person in our household. <laughs> yeah. There are pros and cons to both. And we can maybe get into that in a little bit. But yeah, we were pretty pretty laid back as a family. We were kind of that family that had a good image of, you know, being put together. And for mm-hmm. the most part we we were a healthy family and yeah. we tended to lean into that a little bit and really try to keep that image as best we could. So it's different growing up. Like I grew up in a ministry family, but with a pastor for a dad, you grew up in a ministry family that was a parachurch ministry. So what is like, what was the good and the bad? Like, I mean, now here you are, uh, like, how do you look back on that? What are some of the things you, uh, I don't know, like, it's just a little, it's different. Yeah. Um, so like, what was church like for you then? Where, how did the, what was the role of the church in your life? And uh, how did you see the church in terms of its, um, I don't know, ministry context or like, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. So we went to a very large Southern Baptist church uh, in Tampa, um, you know, grew up there for, we went there probably my first 16 years um, growing up and that's where most of our friends were. We played sports there as a super big church, large youth group. So a lot of friends there. And, um, you know, I definitely enjoyed my time there and, and you were not homeschooled. I was homeschooled. You were homeschooled. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. So it was homeschooled, but because of our youth group being so large so and sports, we were pri- so pretty sports, connected. Youth group that was your social environment. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, that was really it. We were, <laughs> you know, family and then just ministry and sports was pretty much my life. So, but yeah, was, uh, you know, grew up in, in this large Southern Baptist church, and then at a certain season in high school, uh, my parents and a few other families branched off, um, started planted a church, and. Uh, that was that was an interesting experience. It was right in the kind of the formational years of my faith, where I'd really started to um, you know take a stand on my own and develop my own faith, and was learning more about the Lord and His Word. And um, so, yeah, that was that was a really interesting was time. Was that like a strategic church plant from the church? It or was, was that just not. some of the people that were there mm-hmm. seeking to do that. Yeah, it was. Okay. It got to the point for a few families where the church just felt big, and you mm-hmm. could kind of get lost there. And yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so. They, I think they wanted to change yeah, yeah. something a little more intimate and yeah, go a different direction. So mm-hmm. yeah, we did that. And, um, my dad and a few other, my, my baseball coach at the time and a few other men were the elders and, 
um, yeah, it was really neat to be a part of something that started like that and getting to know people more intentionally. And you kind of had to because we were not a large church. We had maybe six families total to start with. And um, Which if they're all the size of your family. Then... They were not all the okay. size of our family, but uh, a lot of young families and some, some older couples. But um, yeah, through high school, that's where I went and uh, a little bit of college and it grew a little bit and going from like so this I think this is interesting just from the standpoint of like parents of teenagers or those who are growing towards that and myself having a couple and having grown up previously in a large church with the large youth group event kind of structure and programs and all that stuff and then going toward a church planning sort of small church intimate family environment um, was that a net gain for you do you see it maybe differently now than you did at the time like how would you what was it like at that age were you bummed was it no absolutely not I was thrilled and like I said that was really a formational time in my faith so I had kind of gotten to the point where the programs the large groups the loud music kind of the attract young people Mm -hmm. mentality was not appealing to me and uh, just getting discouraged um, by some of the the character, some of the the students who are part of ministry and things there. And so it was really nice to be a, a part of a church. And this is, I've always been this way. I grew up around my parents and, and ministry with adults. So I was naturally more inclined to engage with adults anyways. And so being a part of a small church with a bunch of adults yeah. and actually doing life with them so was really like neat. 16 going on 30. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think that's encouraging though, because I do think like even for me, there's times where as we're raising our kids and none of them have had like the whatever we think of as the the normal or the desirable or the the ideal youth group experience and so that's something that we're talking about as a church right now a lot and mm-hmm. trying to get some things maybe better established and going for our, our students but uh, but I've watched my kids with that same thing that you're talking about like where they they're deeply connected to a lot of adult men that I don't think most teenage boys are yeah you know um, and I think there's real value in that yeah um, a couple of them at different points along the way have gone to some youth group things with friends of theirs from school or sports or whatever. And, and they've never, like, I've always kind of been of the mind, like, well, we don't have that going on here. If they go there and they like it, I think I'd be okay with that. And they've never really wanted to do it. Like they go and they're like, eh, like not yeah. really, not really drawn to it, which has been a little surprising to me because you, you're told, Oh, teenagers need this. They, yeah. they, 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 they need this kind of environment. Yeah. And I, and I had like a, you know, a large family. I had a lot of people to spend time with a lot sure. of peers, if you will. And by this point I'd made a lot of friends and yeah. playing sports, but, um, in the church plant, were you able to serve in different capacities that were not necessarily available to you at the big church? Well, my baseball coach, he led a Bible study at the church, okay. um, with local athletes. Okay. He could attract people that were seeking mm-hmm. uh, maybe from the local Catholic schools. And, um, I was just somebody in the room who he could bounce off of, mm-hmm. um, at that time, uh, cool. a little more mature in my faith, um, than some of the other young students. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was neat being able to partner with him and, mm-hmm. and those Bible studies. And that went on for several, several years. It was very fruitful. A lot of, saw a lot of growth there. And, um, so yeah, I definitely got to get involved in ministry. Um, all right. So, uh, where, I mean, you're talking about maturity in your faith there when like, I mean, is your, your testimony is not probably unlike mine, like early conversion kind of story. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. So 
I remember vividly when I was like five or six, you know, praying to receive Christ. And um, really from then on was just very much um, about being uh, a good kid. I was, I didn't get into trouble. I was just a good kid. But when I was 17, I was dealing with some sin in my life and it broke me and exposed that I didn't have things together and kind of ruined that image in some ways. It was, it was more private sin. It wasn't something that people noticed or knew about, mm-hmm. um, but it just been eating at me and happened to be at a church camp with the uh, large Southern Baptist church um, that I didn't really want to go to, <laughs> believe it or not. And um, the speaker spoke on grace in a way that resonated with me and uh, really broke me. It humbled me. It showed me that I needed to place less of my faith in myself mm-hmm. and uh, keeping up appearances. And even though I, I did, you know, want to honor the Lord, I think God opened my eyes to his love for me in a way I hadn't experienced mm-hmm. in his grace. And I think really at that point when I was 17, it's when I, God did something in my life. He, mm-hmm. he awoke in me a desire to seek him. Um, so yeah, that, that was yeah. a pivotal moment in my faith. And pretty much from then on, it's been you it's know. funny. I ca- I had some a similar kind of thing where like I early, let's say conversion experience mm-hmm. that that maybe I was like, where I gave my life to Christ sort of consciously six, five six years old, um, but it kind of did, you know, did the things I was supposed to do. Kind of walked a little bit of the line, and I struggled with different attitude things and aspects of my character, but they weren't like, you know, they weren't the big things. I have air quotes around that. Yeah, that you think about and. Uh, and I was always like, I, I genuinely did. I had a heart for the Lord at some level. I had a heart for the word of God. Like I was interested in theology from pretty young and mm-hmm. interested in my Bible. And, but I still had these appetites for sin and, and, and I had a dutifulness about me and it wasn't like, I don't, I don't think I was converted in my twenties, but, but there was something that happened where, where the Lord kind of brought me to a place of going like, Oh, geez, I'm not. I'm not a Christian because of how obvious it is that Jesus should have chosen me because I do all these right. Like there was still a lot of self-righteousness, a lot of self-reliance, mm. a lot of dutifulness and a lot of knowledge, but I wasn't necessarily driven at all by this love for Jesus. Yeah. Right. And it was like that somewhere in those early twenties, some things that happened, not probably dissimilar from what you've described. Like there was like all of a sudden this like, Oh, I love Jesus mm-hmm. now. Like I've tasted grace in a different way. Like, whereas before it was just kind of like older brother, uh, type from the prodigal son story where it's just, man, I just do what I'm supposed to do. And, um, and, and God owes me then because of that, like he owes me the good life and yeah. the easy, the easy road and, and all that kind of thing. So, um, so some of that, there's a lot of similarities, I think. Yeah. And something else to note there, it's not like I, at 17, all of a sudden had it all together and figured out, I think for about a year there, I was very, very judgmental of other people, primarily Christians. I, mm. I think God opened my eyes to, to who he was and his word. And I was eager to, to read and to grow. And the lack of eagerness around me really, um, frustrated me. I remember going home and I didn't want to watch movies. Like my family, we love watching movies together. And I was just like, no, like, I don't want to do that. I'm going to read. You guys watch movies. Exactly. Yeah. These heathens. But, uh, no, it, it do you God, have the uh, burning secular CDs season <laughs> no oh, no man. we just listen to christian music so okay well congratulations yeah. on that yeah so but yeah that was that was an interesting season in itself <laughs> like it was mixed i was growing a lot i was reading a lot of scripture it was good for me but i was also you know not handling my um my attitude towards other people very well yeah it's funny how uh that sort of 
the minute you genuinely awaken in a way, you have this sort of temptation, the under the shadow side mm-hmm. of that being the sort of Pharisee that that looks down da- looks down your nose at everybody else who's not doing it the way you're doing it or experiencing it the way you are. Yeah. And, absolutely. Um, that comes for all of us. So um Okay, so so your seventeen's kind of a pivotal moment. That's in the context of that church yes. plant. Um, you're figuring out. You're obviously you're playing baseball at a pretty high level at that point. So you've got a. That's going to take you into college. And yeah. So a little bit there. So at the time, homeschooled uh, in Florida, we were very fortunate. We could play sports at mm-hmm. a local school or any private school. The Tim Tebow rule. That's right. Um, so I was playing for the small private Christian school. Mm-hmm. Um, really, just started in high school playing there and. Um, a, a significant aspect of that is uh, one of the assistant coaches at the time, he became the head coach, was a guy by the name of Sam Marcinick, and um, pretty pretty cool testimony how God saved him. But uh, he had played pro ball, first-round draft pick, stud out of Tampa, uh, coaching a bunch of little just hooligans in this private Christian school, wondering what he's doing with his life, trying to get back into to baseball. He had injured himself and um, just really – poured into us and mentored us. And, mm-hmm. and at the time, I wasn't sure I wanted to p- go any farther than high school with baseball. I just played and I knew I could play. And talking about competitiveness, I wish I had more of a competitive <laughs> edge and a drive that really wasn't me. I just did it because I was good at it. And uh, he really challenged me to, to consider maybe playing at the next level. And uh, we were fortunate. I mean, he brought in some some amazing coaches, some mm-hmm. buddies of his. We were very fortunate there. So he had a, um, we had a coach that he had won a World Series with the Yankees and the Red Sox, one of the only guys to do that, pitcher. And uh, he would come in and work with the pitchers and uh, All-American wow. from, you know, and pro ball player um, that, that really taught me a lot of hitting. Um, so, yeah, we constantly had good instruction. And, um, yeah, that ended up leading to me eventually moving on and playing playing in college. Yeah. At- yeah, we I played at the University of South Florida. It's in Tampa. So that's where Jasmine and I met. And, yeah, it was a great great experience. Yeah. Now, we don't have time to go through, just with this episode, through that whole story. Jasmine tells that story on her podcast that she recorded uh, with us. Gosh, it's been probably a year ago. You can look in the archives mm-hmm. for the Jasmine episode, and she tells some of the story of y'all. She probably tells it the best, so <laughs> just go there. <laughs> Um, uh, or just have ja- Zach and Jasmine over for dinner at some point and let them tell it together. Um, and uh, so you meet her in college. You guys got married while still in school? No, right we end? graduated, started dating after we graduated in 2015. Okay. And then we got married in 2016. And what did you study in school? Accounting. Yeah. All right. So boring. Yeah. That's, that's I'm telling you, I'm boring. Yeah. It fits. <laughs> it, it's... This is the accounting episode. Um, so, okay, so, but you didn't go into accounting right away. After school, after school no. So <laughs> I realized accounting, as good as I did in school, it wasn't super interesting. Um, and so I was trying to figure out what to do next. Had a family friend who happened. I wonder how many people know this part of your story. Yeah, I, a few people might have learned about it recently. But yeah, okay. my first job, I did an accounting job um, right after school as a bridge to my next job that I'll talk about. But mm-hmm. we had one of the former quarterbacks 
uh, backup at with the Bucks, who was a godly man, godly family. Uh, he played football at Louisiana Tech in Ruston, Louisiana, if you've ever heard of that. Uh, if you know Duck Dynasty, it was 30 minutes west of that uh, in Monroe. So the that was the excitement of the town. And uh, he wanted to open up a Jimmy John's franchise. Uh, he was actually a backup for the Saints at the time. And Drew Brees, if you didn't know, has a lot of Jimmy John's franchises and basically said, hey, you should try this. And so no he needed somebody to manage it and knew I was in business. So I reached out to my parents and asked if they think I'd be interested and called me up. And I thought, well, maybe some management experience would, wouldn't do me any harm and could help me develop as a as a person so sure i'll do it and uh yeah so we ended up getting married in 2016 and then the store opened in january 2017 so, so i was managing a jimmy john's so you can make a mean sub or no i am a certified sandwich master okay i have a certificate all right there we go and Jimmy John's, they do they warm all their subs. Is that right? No, they, they don't, don't warm any of their subs. No, it's fire. Is it Firehouse that yeah, warms firehouse. all of them? Yeah, we we okay. Jimmy John's people really were not happy about that. If they <laughs> asked you to heat their sandwich, you said no. They, <laughs> yeah, they took it personally. So we were about being fast, freaky fast. Okay, freaky fast. Yeah. Okay. So how long are you managing Jimmy John's in Ruston, Louisiana? Yeah. So. Uh, the store ended up being delayed its opening. So me and Jasmine actually had a good six months, uh, well, August to January, to just have a marriage together and enjoy our time together. I was interviewing people and hiring them, but there was nothing else for me to do at the time. Okay. So it was really sweet for that. But um, when we started, um, yeah, quickly realized that this might not be the thing for me. So I'm an, I'm an introvert managing a restaurant, and uh, my poor wife, Jasmine. The food business is brutal. Yeah. I mean, just like no matter... Like, it's tough. There's a high yeah. attrition rate. In Highly recommend industry. putting your kids in the food industry as a first job. I think it's a good, <laughs> it's humbling. It's humbling for sure. Yeah, we've had kids, we've been two of our first three have worked at Chick-fil-A. And yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a good, good environment, but. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, yeah, if you want to hear more of the story, feel free to come up and talk to me. But it was pretty traumatic experience. <laughs> what was the part that most didn't fit you? I could not. So. One of the hardest things, especially being ministry-minded, is I wanted to engage my employees on a level that I just couldn't as a manager. Like, at the end of the day, like, I was their manager. And so uh -huh. um, Interesting. I had some yeah. amazing employees. I realized um, <laughs> what, what they looked like on the outside wasn't really important. And really, you don't care if they're in the trenches with you. So uh, really was humbled in that way, too. Like, oh, man, this guy's doing drugs, but I really don't care because he makes a mean sandwich and he's dependable. <laughs> and so let's just uh, get after it together. Drugs or not, he clocks in and out on time. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's funny to say that, but I grew up in a bubble and that really was helpful for me. But yeah, but yeah it was, it was a, a wild ride. Um, and Jasmine at the time was working from home and she's a big time extrovert. So it was just like, the worst both for both of, of us, out of your but it was good for us. So I ended up managing that for a year. I about six, eight months into, it, I'm like, okay, I need to move on, but I want to, you know, finish a year, at least give them that mm -hmm. and make sure I'm here for the transition of power and make sure that's all good. But yep. yeah, there's a, there's a whole story to that, but, uh, and then your the, you, what brought you to Atlanta then is the next job, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My dad knew, um, knew the guy, um, who was the president of this company I'm with now. And, uh, he was ministry minded, um, but worked in you you know, business. Your, well, you want to plug your company? What's your company's name? U S lumber. U S so, lumber. U S lumber. We, 
Potential materials. Sponsor, potential sponsor. I don't want to guarantee anything, but maybe maybe <laughs> some ad spots in the future. Yeah. But yeah, super, super neat ex- opportunity that came up. I was just trying to figure out what to do after Jimmy John's. I wasn't necessarily looking for a job, but um, Jeff McClendon is a, a neat, neat Christian guy. And um, I, the idea of going into the full-time vocational ministry was, you know, potential for me. I was looking to seminary at the time, mm. um, doing a sports, uh, chaplaincy program and Baylor was something I was interested in. And, okay. but I kept feeling like working, you know, in the office environment and doing ministry there might be more of the play for me and, and a better fit. And so, um, talking to this, um, you know, my now boss, um, about that. And he gave me some great advice and talked through different aspects of, you know, my interests and what I'd be interested in doing. Mm. And, ministry. And at the end of it, he said, Hey, you studied accounting, right? And I told him, yeah. And he said, well, you're not too difficult to talk to for an accountant. You actually <laughs> can hold a conversation. So we're, we're looking for an accounting. Okay. We have several accountants in the church and I just don't want that to get taken personally by any No, of I can them. say that because <laughs> Andrea, Andrea and I, so when I met Andrea and found out she was an accountant, um, yeah, it was pretty neat. Like another very outgoing, yeah. you know, bubbly, very hospitable person of our, at our church. So I, don't, I wouldn't say any of our accountants would fit that mold, but yeah. there is, you, you know, the, you know, the, there's a stereotype, the, the stereotype. Yeah. yeah. If you're counting, you know, that stereotype. So <laughs> he thought I, I could hold a conversation. And so he said, Hey, <laughs> let me connect you with our head of accounting and cool. the rest of history. So, so that worked out. Uh, mm-hmm. you came here. So what, when you guys moved here in tw- 2018, 2018? so 2018, February, 2018, how many churches did you visit before you stumbled into generations? Oh, man. So at the time we were live with, living with my grandparents. Okay. And so we really weren't wanting to settle into a church until we knew where we'd live. And so we visited some churches that my, our friends went to. We had a lot of people from USF moved to Atlanta. Okay. So we just visited their churches. And, yeah. and then once we moved to the Norcross, Peachtree Corners area, we maybe visited one or two. Okay. And then came here. So you stumbled, you stumbled into the middle school cafeteria. Pretty stumbled early into on. middle school cafeteria. You were preaching or teaching on uh, what it means to be a Christian. I don't know if that's the, the way it was titled or whatever, but you were talking about Romans like, eight. Real Christianity was the yeah. series on Romans. So 8. I sat down. I was like, okay, this is a good sermon to hear to mm-hmm. see where they land. And I vividly remember sitting down and looking at one of the students or the kids. I think it was somebody with ten. 12 with their Bible open. And I was like, okay, this place is legit. Like where Mm -hmm. else would (laughs) kids have their Bibles open, Uh you know? So that was a good sign. And you'd preach a great sermon. Interesting to hear first impressions like that. Like, uh, yeah, may have been the only time we had a kid with the Bible open, but it mattered. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, Well, I remember he was distracted. He wasn't paying attention to your sermon, (laughs) but he was in the word. And I'm like, that's neat. That's neat that he's distracted by the Bible. Uh, That's great. That's great. Um, so I think we did like an early Sunday conversation. I think we, there was some early iteration of that that was going on then. Uh, do you remember who you guys came with? There was I somebody think, else that was brand new at the I same time. I think Beth's parents. Okay. Yeah, I think they were here. Yeah. And I, I can't remember who else, but they were, they I, were definitely Yeah, I seem to group. remember there was a little bit of a group of people there. I wondered if any of them were still here. So, yeah, yeah so, uh, so Spencer and Jenny mm-hmm. might have been there for that one. Yep. Then they left. Never, yeah. never, never to be heard from again. Except through Beth. I'm just kidding. Uh, I love Spencer. Um, so, okay, so you guys have been here for... Four years. Four years. Over four years. Of course, two of those are in uh, COVID. Yeah. Um, or something of close to two years of COVID. So, 
um, different capacities you've kind of you guys you stepped into doing community group with mm-hmm. the was it the Macaulays initially? How did you what did you guys do? Yes, we were with with the Macaulays. Um, yeah, so honestly, so one thing you'll learn about me is my memory is terrible, terrible. Yeah. So do not ask me a question <laughs> pertaining to anything like last year before. Yeah. But yes, I do remember we were with with the Macaulays, and I think we did another small group as well. But um, yeah, yes, yeah, so you've had a few iterations of some different groups that you guys have led, and obviously you've done yeah. some teaching Bible studies, and yeah. now uh, kind of taken some leadership with men's ministry and. Um, so that's kind of where I want to maybe move towards just, you had this, um, draw towards ministry of some kind, right? You're wrestling with that when you were in your other job. So you're, you had something going there. Um, I think it's a real gift to the church to have, uh, full-time dedicated pastors. I think it's a real gift to the church to have lay pastors who are working in the world and who are theologically uh, sound doctrinally, uh, sound and, and who love ministry and love the church and are, are serving from that angle. So it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to have, have you from that angle, not to say that you wouldn't ever end up in the other <laughs> category, but, um, we, uh, it may be before that, but we, during COVID, we identified, I don't know, a handful of what, eight, nine guys mm-hmm. that we, we took through some, uh, material, theological, kind of trying to develop towards something like eldership. Didn't wanted to just kind of just whet the appetite and just kind of see what what. Yeah, came that was out a of great that, group. Right? Really enjoyed it was that. Really fun. That was a really yeah. It was a really uh, good f- four or five months of pretty intense uh, reading and connecting at that in a time when we weren't getting to gather much. Right, we were mostly uh, remote from everybody, and um, and so. Uh, where along the way did, as you're thinking about eldership or leading in the church, serving in different capacities, like where did, um, where did that sense of, uh, aspiration and desire become clear to you or, um, maybe even unavoidable? <laughs> yeah. For eldership specifically. Yeah. 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 So I remember in Ruston, we were getting ready to, to move and one of the families we really respected, um, uh, the man was a godly man godly father and was being appointed an elder and he was a lay elder as well he, he worked and I saw him and thought man that's something I'd like to do one day um I'd really like to to be that type of person who you know handled himself well and mm. respectable man of character maybe not on staff but just a solid solid man to help steer the church and mm-hmm. help the church serve the church and so that really stood out to me and so that from that point on I was very open to this um mm. you know probably thought maybe my 30s or 40s but then as we went through our group and just Jasmine and I serving in the church and loving the church more and more and really just feeling burdened for the church here at Generations to you know have its needs met and you know trying to figure out how we can serve best and then going through that cohort and discussing it definitely I think last year especially started weighing on both of us I think there were some even just some changes of in my heart and you know sin was less prevalent in certain areas like through last year and it's almost like God in a sense was preparing me for for this and so Mm -hmm. some of those things were pointing towards eldership and Mm -hmm. when you and Paul approached me and asked if that would be something I'd be interested in, you know, looking to see if that'd be something I'd be qualified for and Mm -hmm. taking that next steps. It made sense to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we walked into it with a a certain level of, 
you know, definitely care and, you know, am I old enough? Things like that. But um, I think the process was really mm-hmm. thorough and, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah, and I haven't really, I, I mean, I've, I've probably had this conversation with, I, I, you know how we are, we like to put everything out on the table, and uh, and when Caleb and I had our conversation about this stuff um, earlier, uh, you know, he brought up, you know, his age and how from very young he's been like, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, and, mm-hmm. and in some ways, even though he's younger than you are, even he has felt, he had talked about how he felt a little bit slowed down, um, but right, rightly so and properly so, and um, and so we, we've brought on two elders, um, which you think of typically as older men, and but we brought on two guys simultaneously who are both not yet thirty, and um, and you know I haven't talked about this publicly, but but it was something that we wrestled with. It was something that you guys uh, wrestled with. Uh, we wrestled with on our end. We sought counsel about that. We talked to people about that, and um, and we really felt for a lot of reasons. I mean, initially it was like the the biggest thing was are these men described in First Timothy three, Titus. Uh, one, you know, First Peter five, Acts twenty. Are are these those kind of men? Um, and then there, there was the sort of like, okay, but but age, what what component, what does that play into? And so we thought about that, and and partly also because of the age of our congregation, um, we have a lot of younger people in our congregation, and so we felt like, um, you know, that was that was actually a good thing to have younger leaders as well. But but one of the other things that I think really uh, helped with that for us was it's the older people in our congregation and some of the men that went through that same group with us. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, too bold to, to, to name guys like Ron Swan and Adam Barker and Jim McCauley who were in that group and they've been around those tables and those men were going, Hey, we think these guys are, when we, we went to everybody and said, Hey, what, what's your impression coming out of this? What's your own sense of aspiration, but then also what's your impression of some of the others? And, um, and I think the affirmation from older men of the maturity of both you and Caleb was helpful for us because we saw the older saints in our congregation as respecting you guys in that way. Hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think those are some of the things like we've, we've been very, uh, we've talked about those things very explicitly and, and, and everything. So feel really good about where we've landed on it. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so where were we? <laughs> I don't know. I got down to that segue. You, you uh, kind of triggered that. Uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just say this. I think I wouldn't walk into this position or take this responsibility if it wasn't for my support system around me. I mm-hmm. mean, I have some very godly, mature men in my life that have developed me and encouraged me and supported me and who I can go to. Because obviously I'm not going to have <laughs> all the answers if you're expecting that. Uh, I apologize. But <laughs> yeah. Definitely apologize will not. in advance. <laughs> but like, you know, the Rons and the Jims and the Adams, like we have so many men here of, of high character as well. And mm-hmm. um, in no way do I see this as a, a solo, you know, yeah. task. It's very much a I will be seeking counsel and continue to seek counsel from mm-hmm. many of the men in our church. And um, so, yeah, I feel very um, supported, very um yeah, I have a lot of accountability, and uh, that's good. So mm-hmm. that gives me a little more confidence yeah. moving into this. Um, I, I want to ask, there's two questions I'm thinking of, and just for the sake of time, I'll probably try to drill us down on just those two. One is um, uh, one thing that I just, I, I, I always want to foster honesty and, and um, authenticity among our leaders, uh, as you know, and that's something that I think we all care a lot about and want to, nurture among us and even uh, the, that we lead out in that with our with our church family and so uh, I had asked Caleb this question too but I'm curious just uh, as people pray for you as they get to know you as they lean into you and, and look to you in this sort of role what are 
we talk about these areas of qualification, but we also talk about Acts 20, keep watch on yourself, over yourselves and over the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit's made you overseer. As you keep watch over yourself, what are the, what are the, what's maybe the main or the main areas that you kind of go, this is the stuff I've got to keep watch over me yeah. to not just be qualified to enter into this, but to, to remain qualified in my character and my, my posture before the Lord and my, my, uh, the way that I'm walking with him and then alongside his, his people. Um, where do you see that as like those critical areas for you that, that you've got to keep watch over? Yeah, I'll share the first thing that comes to mind, but I'm, I'm sure there are several areas, but for me, and I've even noticed this as I've served in the church in different capacities, the work, feeling like it's work or feeling like it's a task and just committing to that and feeling like that's really what my Christian life is now about and maybe in the process, not forfeiting, but losing some of my own devotion with the Lord and my own time with him and, and growing and humbling myself before him, if that makes sense. And so um, I think that's something I've seen could be an issue. And, um, you know, I definitely, I'm a people pleaser by nature. I want to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and caring for people well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I need to also make sure that I'm submitting to the Lord and, and my own life and, and practicing the things that I'm going to be encouraging, you know, a mm-hmm. congregation to do. And so that's just staying disciplined in my own, you know, personal devotion to the Lord. And yeah. Isn't that funny? It kind of even goes back to what you were talking about at 17 of like, there's this dutiful side that can kind of take over where you lose sort of touch with the, the union with Christ aspect of yeah. things and nurturing that. And, um, I was just saying this to, uh, I was, uh, I was talking with uh, Casey Disney yesterday about something and, um, and, uh, who was referring to, uh, Chuck Swindoll who mentored my dad. He was the, uh, pastor of the church. My dad first, uh, was on staff with many years ago. And Chuck Swindoll, uh, said that, uh, the danger with the problem with ministry is that we can learn to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's good. Um, and just how you can kind of settle into this task of, it's just, it's just a competency that you develop and then you can just execute those, you know, with some skill, these things, but there's not, it's sort of what we talk about with Schaefer's, the Lord's work in the Lord's way, that idea of like doing the Lord's work, but in the power of the flesh rather than the power of the spirit. Yeah. Um, which is a real danger for all of us um, and a real danger to the church that her leaders would go about business. Yeah, and you even said it on Sunday, like being the type of person following Christ that could say, follow me as I follow mm-hmm. Christ. And it takes following Christ to, yeah. to call people to that and encourage people to, to, to live out their faith. And it always struck me, you know, the passage in Acts where um, I can't remember, I think it was early on in Acts when, and I think it was James and John. I'm sorry. I think it was Peter and John where um, they were testifying to the things of the Lord. And, and there's some line in there where Luke says that, um, and like the crowds or the people were astonished with them and they could tell that they were men who had been with Jesus. And I've just always like, man, I would want that. I, I've always wanted that to be true of me. That yeah. people, not not in a being impressed with me sort of way, but but I want to yeah. walk in such a way that, that people will spend time with me or be around me, not, not in even the public ministry part, like in mm-hmm. the, in the daily contact, the relationship piece, like where you're just interact with this person and you feel like, Oh, that's a guy who's being, he's like, he's spending time with Jesus and you can mm-hmm. kind of tell. Um, I would want that to be true of me. I would want that to be true mm-hmm. of our leaders, you know, yeah. that people could kind of 
just uh, that there would be a um, a vibe, <laughs> so to speak, of yeah. that, you know. Yeah, and, and pray for us as elders that that will be something that we don't seek that appearance and, mm-hmm. and kind of going back to my upbringing, like I was just used to being the good kid and mm-hmm. keeping that appearance. And so I'd rather forfeit that and yeah. you know be genuine and make sure that I'm actually being real and, and honest and vulnerable. And um, so, yeah, yeah, don't want to fall into that. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a real trap for me even right now. Like I, I feel that like as the church is kind of in this season that we're in and there's a lot of work to be done right now. We're ha- I'm, I'm having to give, I know, more attention to working on the church, not just in the church right now. And, and I feel that pull away from intimacy with Christ towards doing things in the name of Christ, um, but maybe not in a, in a real uh, healthy dependency, more in a, a sort of, um, what would it be, almost like uh, relying on deposits I've made in my relationship with Christ earlier on yeah. or historically, um, but falling out of those healthy patterns mm-hmm. that keep me tethered to Christ. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. a huge, that's a huge temptation, especially as we're growing to, yeah. to kind of move towards that and, and lose our first love really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. so on the other side of that, I'm, I'm curious. And I, I think one thing I, I don't, I'll let you kind of say, I know there's some things I would probably observe personally, but in terms of your own, vision, maybe that's the wrong word, vision for the church, but your heart for the church, um, what you're seeing uh, with where we are, and like, you know, we're all wired in a little different ways, like you are, you have really, I mean, I love, in fact, I, I I partly went into church planting because I wanted to to reach men and disciple men and, and help men grow into to, to godly, wise husbands and fathers and everything, so I have this heart for men, but but you have personally sort of really decisively <laughs> given yourself to going, we need a men's ministry that's healthy, that's, that's engaging the men in our church better. And you've, you've really done the lion's share of the, the, the kind of push to make sure that. I mean, there's a lot of people that have done a lot of things organically, relationally, and that kind of thing. But you've kind of been behind the scenes for a long time wrestling with the questions of like, you've been wanting to get a retreat going for a long time. You want to get Bible studies going. So like, those are things that you've helped kind of spearhead. So maybe it pertains to that or other aspects of the church. Where's your heart for where we are now, kind of what you love about it, but what you kind of see is the urgent need that you feel like, man, this is what I'm praying for most. This is what gets me excited about where we're heading or what I'm, what I'm excited about giving myself to. Well, like you said, there's a lot that we need to do. There's a lot of tasks. And I, I think that's the thing that's weighing on me the most is just, just providing some more order. And as we have grown as an eldership, you know, team and figuring out our responsibilities and just making sure we maintain that culture that we've had where people can be open. And, you know, the men's ministry side is obviously near and dear to me, uh, like you said. And and anybody who's listening to this can start to see why, right? Like, because you were, you were reared in this unique environment of, of strong men, even if they weren't the godly men. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, men in a football locker room are strong men. Those yeah. are those are alpha males, right? And like, yeah. that's the kind of environment you've been around. It's funny you use that life. term alpha male, because that, that I would not describe myself that sure, way. Sure. Um, and it, and it, a few of those men, godly men, are the reason I'm here. And so I think having experienced that and received that and uh, have, having um, my faith nurtured and, and 
people calling me to vulnerability. Like if you've talked to me, I, I'm really bad with small talk. Um, so I, I love just getting deep really quick. And so having like when we got involved in the Monday night uh, men's meetings we used to do, and yeah. I mean, that's just my favorite. And so I just want, I, I, because I've been so blessed by that and having men I can be open with um, and men who will, who are following Christ and I get to see that and then emulate that, creating that environment. We have so many godly men in our church and, and women as well who are growing. And I think we just need to be around each other, you know, more intentionally. And I guess that's my, my, my hope is as we've grown, we can maintain those environments where men are able to, to be around other men and encourage mm-hmm. each other to, you know, put off the old self and take mm-hmm. on the new. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Um, anything else that you just kind of, before we wind this up, uh, Anything that you just want to say to our church family um, at all? Yeah, I mean, I'm just so thankful for this church. Um, Jasmine and I are very fortunate to have found it, and we've been welcomed by everyone. And um, really, I think I'm really excited about getting to know you all more. Um, As we grow, it's, it's been harder to keep up with everyone. And mm-hmm. we've been so blessed by meeting different people, even over the men's retreat, getting to know some of the guys a little bit better. And so, um, we're, we're, we have an abundance of riches in our church. So mm-hmm. many people who are willing to serve and want to pursue the Lord. And so it, it almost feels like it's a, <laughs> we're kind of cheating in a sense, like this is, <laughs> you know, leading this, this church is, I think, uh, more of a, a joy and a blessing than I'm sure in you other know, cases. It really, like in so many ways, like we, it is like our church family has been a bit of like a Hebrews uh, is it 13 that talks about like make sure that it's a joy, not a not yeah. a burden for your leaders. You know, for yeah. what good? So he says, like for what value would that be to you? You know, yeah. and uh, and for the most part, like our church has been a joy for me to lead, and I'm excited for more people to kind of step into that and get to, um, yeah, get to help, as you said, put into order uh, some of that, but really for for the sake of that, of the body. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right. So anything, any last words before we sign off? Man, that's a lot of pressure, James. We've, um, out, we, we've actually taken more time than Caleb and I did. I'm looking at, I'm down here at the thing. I'm like, dude, like we're, we're longer winded than Caleb and James. <laughs> How did that? Now he gets the mic every See, week. See, I don't like small talk, but if we talk right. about things that are significant, I'll that's talk right. forever. So that's right. be warned if you invite me and Jasmine over for dinner, we might, Stay a while. <laughs> yeah, super cool image that you talked about at the beginning, though. Your grandfather, your dad, and you under the generation signed the other day. Fourth generation on the way mm. um, in just a, the next two months. Yeah, please be praying. We have a uh, little baby girl coming hopefully at the end of June, early July. So yeah. um, obviously for those of you who are parents, we will be leaning on you, and uh, you know how it is. And Yeah. And, yeah. and I want to throw this out there. If you don't know Zach and Jasmine well, um, a lot of people do, but if you don't, um, one of the things that I think happens to a lot of leaders in churches is they, they tend to fill the role of what we talked about in Titus 1 the other day of ho- they tend to be hospitable people. And you and Jasmine are hospitable people. You've opened your home to a great many of the folks in our church. But, but sometimes what happens is that when you step into leadership roles, people start to assume as you've taken initiative to do that with them and you stop getting some of the invites. Hmm. To, into other people's environments. So yeah. as you guys are about to have a baby and in the aftermath of that, people will have an opportunity to serve you. But um, maybe in the weeks leading up, if you guys have the opportunity, if you want to reach out to Zach and Jasmine to encourage them, get to know them, feel like I want to encourage people to invite you guys into mm-hmm. into their world and get to know you better. Um, and then on the aftermath, I hope we'll get to, we'll do the whole providing meals and, and the whole thing and, and we'll come visit you guys uh, at your house with the baby. So... Um, all right. Jasmine, hope you have fun in Tampa. Zach is going to keep, you know, 
having his little uh, block parties and raves that's that he right. does here on weeknights. And that's uh, right. I'll be in. I'll be in bed. What time? Yeah, I'll probably be in bed by ten. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back to our boring lives. <laughs>